morning, family. Hey, if you guys would rather be here than the best hospital around, give the Lord a hand. Come on. It's good to be in the house of God. Good to see you. Okay, family business, family business. Okay, if you're visiting, I'm not directing this towards you, but I'm directing this towards anybody that calls New Life Church their home church. Um, If there is any possible way that anybody in this service can make it to our 830 service, I need you to go to the 830 service. Uh, this is this is what we would consider too full, especially for visitors. And, and I'm not going to call out, if you're visiting, we're not going to embarrass you or call you out, but I'm just talking to our people. What happens is when a visitor walks into a room like this, they feel like it's too crowded. They get a little uncomfortable, okay? And, and so we need to create some space. And really, there's only one service that has a little bit more space in it, and that's our 830 service, okay? So I just need you to get with your family, see if that's feasible, um, we've got to hold out a little bit longer. The building's coming along. By the way, it's, we're, we're getting some really good progress out there. Um, and uh, we, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but that we should have uh, at least probably half of the slab poured by the end of this next week, okay? And then the metal is going to be in in just a couple of weeks. So you're going to actually see the metal going up, and then um, we're going to be able to make some really good progress from there. Um, and, and, and that's all fine and great. In the meantime, how do you guys want to keep growing as a church? Amen? Okay? So here's the deal. Uh, the only way we're going to be able to do that is we've got to create some space. So I need your seat. That's what I'm asking for. I need your seat. We, need, we want to create some space for visitors. And so uh, the best way for us to do that is for some of us to be willing to go to a service where maybe it's not quite as full. And, and it, we'll do that as long as we can. If you won't move, if you won't move, then what we'll have to do is we'll have to start a fourth service. Um, and that's just going to be a lot of work and a lot of effort on a lot of different people's part. And so I'd rather just move some people first. And if we still need out of fourth service, which we may, there's a chance we'll have to still. But um, then we'll go to that. But uh, if you guys will do that, it would really help us out. Okay? Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, so let's get into this. Uh, last week, I started reading, uh, or, uh, reading about Abraham, talked about the covenant and how uh, the new covenant in Jesus. We also showed the connection, even, even through genealogy, of Abraham and Jesus, and how the promises and everything that was happening in the Old Testament, you're already beginning to see Jesus even in those readings, okay? So that's really important, because here's the deal. Right now, things are looking really great. We're having a good time reading in the Word. I hope you guys have gotten into a Bible plan. If you haven't, maybe you've gotten off track, or maybe you didn't even ever start I'd encourage you to jump into this thing. There's, there's no guilt. There's no condemnation on you for not, for not joining in. But I'm just telling you, it's going to be incredible for your lives personally. It's also it's going to mean a lot for our church. Uh, as Bernie said, man, already so many awesome testimonies, things coming out of just these first couple of weeks of getting into the Word. But we're talking through that, and, and things are going really good right now. We've got a couple of things to look forward to. We've got some plagues to look forward to, some exciting stuff like that. But eventually, in the Old Testament especially it's going to start to drag a little bit, okay? We're getting ready to get into Leviticus. And when we get into Leviticus, it's going to be a little bit difficult to stay completely engaged because there's a lot of really weird laws and things in Leviticus. You're just like, this doesn't make any sense. So this is what I'd encourage you to do. Even in the middle of reading through some of that, look for Jesus. Look for how Jesus becomes the answer for the old covenant, for those old laws. Try to find Jesus in every part that you're reading. And I think if you'll do that, it's going to encourage you and strengthen you, give you the perseverance to get through some of those chapters that are a little bit more difficult to get through in the Old Testament. Today, uh, this night, or tonight, we're going to be starting our fast as a church. And every year... 
during this month, we pick a week. Sometimes it, from year to year, it's, it's been different. I mean, we've done different fasts from, for different amounts of times. The last couple of years, we try to pick a week where we're all praying and fasting together. And I'd encourage you to jump in on, on this. Uh, but don't be legalistic, okay? Don't be religious on yourself. The biggest thing is this. You just find something in your life that you're doing that you can get rid of that is sacrificial, that when you would normally want to go and do that or eat that or watch that or whatever it might be, drink that, that it reminds you that instead of doing that, you're just going to seek the Lord. But don't get religious in, okay? I've had a couple people over the years come and say, well, Jesus fasted for 40 days. Shouldn't we fast for 40 days too? And I usually don't know what to say, so I just throat punch them usually and then walk on. I'm just like... And, and, and yeah, I mean, if you want to go there, great. If you want to take 40 days and fast, great. But the heart behind fasting is it's not necessarily the duration. Uh, the heart of fasting is that your heart belongs to God. And so you just find something that, that doesn't have to be wrong. It doesn't have to be sin in your life. It's just something that's a convenience. It's something that you like to do. But you just decide, I like Jesus more than I like that. And I'm going to pursue Jesus instead of pursuing that. So it might be sweets. It might be watching Netflix. It might be a social media fast, okay? Some of us, I'm, some of you need like to like fast that permanently, but, but, uh, uh, but it, it, it could be a lot. It could be caffeine. Please warn us if you're going to do caffeine, because some of you are not nice when you don't have your caffeine, but, but whatever it is, just when you, when you get rid of whatever that is, it could be a food fast, whatever it is, you're just doing that sacrificially to say, during this time that I'm not doing those things, I'm going to get more of God. You guys cool with that? All right, that kicks off tonight. It's going to be an awesome worship service as we get into this week. Today, we're going to be looking at how to focus on your destiny instead of your history. That's what we're going to be talking about. Let's get into the scripture together. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, Bible apps, whatever, you can watch up on the screen. If you don't have any of those, I would encourage you to to bring a Bible uh, either on your phone or, or an actual physical Bible to services as we're going through this year. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race. Everybody say race. Race. Marked out for us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you, everybody saying me, will not grow weary and lose heart, okay? Now, when this talks about this cloud of witnesses, some people take it in a literal sense, like, okay, so like everybody that's up in heaven, they're all standing around, and they're watching us, and they're cheering us on, and I'm not sure that that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying, but what I do know is this. I do know that these, these, this cloud of witnesses they do encourage us through their testimony and it's how it's been laid out in the word of God. In other words, the way that this crowd of witnesses is encouraging us in our race today, it's through the word of God. It's through how they lived, the situations that they lived through. And so it's kind of like this. As you're running this race, it's like someone's coming out of the stands. One of these great people of the faith from the word of God come out of the stands and they're running a lap with you. 
Because there's a specific encouragement, a specific word that you need in that portion of your race that they're going to speak into to encourage you. Anybody that runs, if you run very far at all, even just having somebody with you, next to you, it helps you run better. And there's times when there's a headwind. And sometimes those people can come in in front of you and and you can draft off of them so it makes your run easier. There are times that we're going to need these people and their testimony, what happened to them in the word of God to come in and help us run this race. Now, you've probably heard people say, you know, your, your walk, your faith with God, it's not a sprint, okay? It's a marathon. And I think that that's accurate. But the most accurate way to say it is this. Your race is a relay race. It's a relay race. Because as you look down throughout the ages, we are running a kingdom race. This race is all aimed at the day that Jesus returns and we get to go to heaven. But throughout the generations, people have been handing off this baton in this kingdom race. So Moses handed it to Joshua. Jesus handed it to his disciples. Paul handed it to Timothy. And as we continue on, the baton has been handed to us in running this race, but running it with perseverance. So what we're going to look at today is what is an element of this race and what is a lap that maybe some of us are in right now that we need this encouragement from this specific person in the Bible. We're going to look at the life of Joseph. Now, this is coming up. Tomorrow, our reading will open up and talking a little bit more about who Joseph is. And he's going to help us run a lap today. God gave Joseph a dream, a vision of what his purpose was going to be at the age of 17. That's when he first spoke to him. Now, he didn't actually get to step into the fulfillment of that promise until he was 40. But he received this dream from God. So Joseph is the central character in the book of Genesis, but his life is kind of one of those epic stories that most all of us heard when we were in Sunday school or whatever as we were growing up. But it kind of plays out like a play, you know, like scene one, scene two, there's, there's scene changes, there's set changes, there's costume changes, there's all these things. Act one, at home, gets a dream from God. Act two, goes into slavery. Act three, is thrown in prison. Act four, becomes second in command of all of Egypt. And then he's a patriarch. And it's this big epic thing. But this guy's life doesn't seem to look like the plan of God. It doesn't seem like, man, this is going really, this is, this is perfect. This is great. It doesn't, it's not shaping up that way. And it, for a long, long time, look, if we, if we were in it in real time, it would just be like, man, this just doesn't seem like there's a lot of hope around this. How does this guy keep going? We know the outcome eventually, so it's easiest for us to look at it from that context. But 23 years is what we're talking about that Joseph is having to live through as he's waiting on the fulfillment of God's promise in his life. There's a lot of times where it feels like God's plan for our life kind of goes off road. Sometimes it's in that gap of us waiting for God's promise to come to pass that we lose hope that we get off track. One thing I want to promise you is every person in this room needs this message. Every person in this room is going to need this message because at one point or another, there's going to be a gap in your life where you're going to have to trust God for something. And some of you might say, man, Pastor James, can't you be a little bit more positive? I mean, really? Yes, I can be more positive. I'm absolutely positive you're going to need this message at one point or another in your life. It's going to come a season when you're going to need to reflect back on this person of faith and he's going to help run a lap with you. Maybe, maybe you're in it right now. I believe that if, Jesus, if Joseph was here today, one of the things he would say is don't give up on the plan of God for your life. 
Don't give up on the plan of God for your life, no matter how tough things get. Look, when Cody and I first moved to Arkansas, things were not like smooth sailing. We have always been completely confident that this is where we're supposed to be. That doesn't always mean that the circumstances surrounding it were like, oh, everything's perfect. We first moved here, it was tough because ministry was tough. We were failing in youth ministry. I mean, students were like, were, were leaving the youth ministry like crazy. We were having a hard time building a leadership team in the midst of that. We're, we're trying to figure out where we're going to live, so we're living at somebody else's house. Uh, we wreck our only vehicle, total it, so then we're, we're driving somebody else's car. We took a huge pay cut to get here, and so now the finances is in, in, in question. And, and we, I remember sitting around one afternoon like, did we just make the dumbest decision of our lives? And we, we verbalized that question, but then we immediately had to come back to, no, we did not. What did God speak? What did God say? And how did he confirm it through his word? And there will be a time when you're going to have to do the same thing. And here's the deal. It's okay for you to question. And it's okay for you to be mad and upset that the season you're in is not looking like the plan of God. And it's okay for you to question God and even get mad at him about that season. As long as eventually you come back in faith to what he promised through his word. And what he says about your life. And trusting him in that. Circumstances can never destroy the plan of God for your life. The only thing that can destroy the plan of God for your life is you quitting. Circumstances will always be changing in and around the plan of God, but as long as you don't give up, you'll still see the plan of God come to pass. But if you quit on the plan of God, that's the only way that God's plan is destroyed. It's when you just say, I'm not willing to walk in it anymore. So I think that that's what Joseph would come and say to us today. Look, so many people that we know, business owners, that are incredible business owners, they had to walk through a season. They had to make the decision they weren't going to quit. Some of the most incredible marriages that Cody and I get to be around are just marriages where they just made the decision, we're not going to quit. We're going to keep going. And now they're godly, they're strong. So I want you to turn to the book of Genesis. If you don't know where the book of Genesis is, we need to pray for you because it's pretty much the easiest one to find. It's right there at the beginning. Genesis chapter 37. If you're in your one-year Bible, this is going to be your reading for tomorrow. Let's read together. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, and the sons of Zilpah, cool names, uh, his father's wives, and he brought, their fa- he brought their father a bad report about them. Okay, so take notice of that. Don't just skip over that. This is one of the issues that Joseph has. Joseph's just like the, the atypical youngest brother, younger brother, just like tattletelling, saying, uh, you wouldn't believe what the brothers are doing out in the field. Okay, he's not setting himself up real well, but it goes on from there. It says, now Israel loved Joseph, that's his dad, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him at an old age and he had made an ornate robe for him. Okay, the coat of many colors. You guys remember uh, seeing that up on the felt board? Okay. Uh, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak any kind words to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more because this is the dream. This is foolish, guys. This is Joseph being a bonehead. He said to them, listen to the dream I had. We were 
binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us, you little punk? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. It'd be like me coming to my whole family, like in-laws, everybody like, hey, I had a dream. I'm going to own this really, really successful restaurant, and all of you get to wash dishes for me, all right? How do you like that, mother, mother-in-law? Okay, that, that, that's kind of how this would play out. I believe that in this story and through the course of the story of Joseph, there's four big things, uh, principles I think that we can learn. Probably a lot more than that, but I want to talk about four of them. First of all, don't give up, even if you didn't start off that well. Don't give up, even if you don't feel like you start off at well. Look, this is a big, big lie of the enemy. The big lie of the enemy is that you're never going to be anything because you didn't have a good dad, because you didn't have a good mom, because you didn't have a good education, because you never fixed your teeth, because you're bald, because you have a stupid job, because you can't have kids, um, because you never owned a poodle. Okay, probably not the last one, but all these, these things, like because I never had these things in my life, I'm never going to achieve as much. I'm never going to be successful because of all these things that happen or that I didn't have at a week start or maybe just the mistakes that you made and you're focused on those things, the things that happened in your past. Way too many people define the potential of their future by looking in the rearview mirror and it doesn't even make sense. It's an oxymoron. Potential is always going to be forward, not backwards. You can't even define potential without looking forward. But too many of us are like, oh, my, my potential is just all about everything that happened behind me. And it's a major, major lie and plot of the enemy to accuse us of our past, to remind us constantly of our past. One of the major titles that Satan has in the word of God is the accuser of the brethren. That's like one of his names. It's one of the things he does, the accuser of the brethren. So for fun, I thought we would talk about the accuser's future, and I think it'll help us with our future. Revelations chapter 12, verse 10 says this. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sister who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. Look, when Satan finally meets his future, when Satan finally meets his final destiny, it's not even going to be an effort for God. It's not going to be a big struggle. It's going to be like he flicks him down there like a gnat. It's not going to be a big deal. This guy ain't nothing, so stop listening to him. Quit believing his lies. He's pathetic. He's a liar. This guy walked into this pet shop one day, and there was this parrot. And the parrot, I'm not going to do my parrot impression, even though you'd be, you'd be thankful for it, but I'm not going to do it. But, but this parrot said, hey, you. The guy's like looking around like, what? Hey, you. So he walks over to this parrot. He's like, what? You're the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. The guy's like, oh my, what? What did you just say? You're the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. This guy's offended. Goes to the manager of the pest. He's like, this, this parrot's talking trash. Really? The manager's like, oh, he's done this before. I'm fed up with this. 
He goes there, he takes the parrot out, slaps him around a little bit. He says, if you ever talk like that ever again to anyone, I'm just going to put you in stew and eat you. I'm just going to just kill you and eat you. That's it. Puts him back in the cage. Guy leaves. About a week later, guy comes back. Don't know why he's spending so much time in a pet shop, but he is. And he walks into the pet shop. He's walking around this pet shop. And sure enough, this parrot's like, hey, you. God tries to ignore it. Hey, you. Finally walks over the parrot cage. What? Parrot pauses for a second. He says, you know what? (laughs) You know, that's exactly what the enemy does. You know what? You know what? And we do know what. We remember but what he's trying to do is to get us completely fixated on, on the you know what. So we, we can't ever, we can't move forward into our future. Satan will accuse you to try to derail you away from God's plan and purpose constantly. Because the fact of the matter is, the only way that he can try to prolong, in his mind, he thinks he can prolong the inevitable in his life if he can derail you from doing God's purpose in your life. That's what he's trying to do. Watch what Paul says. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. How many are thankful for God's mercy? Amen. But this is what's so great about this. I love this phrase. He considered me. He considered me. Jesus never pointed at Paul's Google of himself. Jesus never pointed at his resume. He considered him in spite of his resume. He gave him his mercy. And so I would encourage you to consider what he considers about you as being a lot more important than what you think about yourself, especially what the enemy would try to convince you about yourself. I would encourage you to focus on the hope of your destiny instead of the hurt of your history. Make that your focus. Another thing, don't give up even when others don't support you. Don't give up even when others don't support you. Sometimes it feels like the people who love you the most support you the least. The people that that love you the most, it's like, what? Why won't they get my back? And sometimes there's betrayal in that. And sometimes it's it's incredibly painful. Look, the story of Joseph, it kind of like starts off like this cute story, like Joseph and his brothers in a coat of many colors. And then Jesus, or and then Joseph is sold into slavery by his flesh and blood. Okay, so he knows what that feels like to not be supported by the people that support him the most. Look, the, when Judas betrayed Jesus, he betrayed him with a kiss. There's going to be people that are going to be close to you that are not always going to back up the vision that you know that God has given you for your life. 
but you still have to hope and trust. Jesus can completely relate to this. Jesus understood what it was like to not be honored by the people that were closest to him. This is what it says in Mark chapter 6. These are people talking to Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter? Okay. This is like a jab because a, a carpenter, it, it, didn't, it wasn't like a high profile person. <sighs> Jesus' disciples, the people around Jesus are calling him teacher. They're calling him Lord. They're calling him rabbi. And these guys are like, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this just Mary's son? The brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense to him. So Jesus said to them, only in his hometown among his relatives and his own house is a prophet without honor. Jesus understands every element of your life that you could ever walk through, including when you're not encouraged and supported by the people that would be closest to you. Joseph got that too. Another thing, don't give up even if you're at your lowest points. Don't give up. God, there's so many events that that would have been so discouraging for Joseph. If you look at the major events, this is basically how they boil down. Misunderstood by his family, sold into slavery by his brothers, living in a foreign land away from home, given favor in Potiphar's house, which seems to be a good thing. Potiphar really liked him, but so did his hussy wife. Okay, and falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of raping her, thrown into prison because of that, falsely accused, Put in charge of all the prisoners, that seemed like enough. Forgotten by the chief uh, cupbearer, remained in prison for two years, 12 years total in prison. And then he finally interprets Pharaoh's dream and becomes second in charge of all of Egypt. But if you look at Joseph's lies, there's twice as many give up moments as there are go on moments. Maybe you feel like you can relate to that. The decision has got to be that you're going to trust in God's word and in his promise. This is what defines you. It's how many times you can get back up and, du- and dust yourself off and keep trusting him. Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Most inter- important two words, we know, we know, we know. You have got to be convinced in your heart of hearts that you know that this promise is true, that he is going to work everything in your life for your good. Here's the qualifier. One of the translations say, for those who are in Christ Jesus, as long as he is number one, as long as he is first and foremost your Lord, and because of that your Savior, then you can know without a shadow of a doubt, no matter what you walk through, that he is going to wind up working it out for your good. And you can wait with anticipation for that day. It will happen. Don't give up. There's really two schools of thought when it comes to these things that happen in our life. One school of thought is God is creating all these bad things to make you better. Look, I just don't think that's true. The other school of thought would be that the problems and pain in your life ultimately cannot derail God's plan for your life. And that God does not cause everything to happen in your life, but he loves to use everything that happens in your life for your good and for your character. 
somebody that, that, that was such an incredible testimony to this in my life. I've had a lot of people like this, but I've told a story a couple times about this, this guy named Zach Slade was in our leadership school a few years back. And Zach had cerebral palsy, pretty severe case, could barely walk. He could walk somewhat, but then he had very slurred speech. It was difficult to understand. And this guy came into our program, and, and, and the, the school was pretty physically demanding as well as, as scholastically and, and, and spiritually. It was really in all areas. And, and this guy, he just came in, and, and, and he, he didn't make excuses. He never complained. He ne- I don't think, I don't remember him ever having a bad attitude, ever. And he just would struggle through things. And one of the most incredible impressions that he had was we would train the students to be able to do an Ironman distance, okay? Two and a half miles swimming, 112 miles biking, capped off by a marathon. And some of the students, they would they'd go through this training and get ready for this. And this guy who could barely walk decides he's going to do a half Ironman distance. And it was the most incredible thing that you've seen because you have to understand one of his arms didn't even work. So when he was swimming, he could only use one arm to get himself going forward, over a mile, trying to swim like that. Never complained. He'd get on the bike. He had very difficult, he, had, he didn't have good balance at all. So his feet kept slipping off the pedals, and he'd drag his feet, and every time a big car truck would come by, it'd almost blow him off the road into the bar ditch. Every once in a while, he just fell right over, and he just would laugh. Like, I'm cussing at the people driving by, and he's, like, laughing there in the ditch. I didn't really cuss, but I wanted to. And then on the the run, he couldn't run. He couldn't run. He just, like, tried to walk fast. And he would trip and fall down. Just pick himself back up. 17 hours. 17 hours. When you talk to him about his testimony... Basically, it all boiled down to this nurse making a mistake when he was born. Just a few seconds of a lack of oxygen, of oxygen, deprived oxygen, and the rest of his life completely changed. And when you talk to him about this, he said, I want to meet that nurse someday. I'd love to meet that nurse someday. Because if I had a chance to meet her, I would tell her thank you. I would tell her thank, thank you because, because I've had an opportunity that a lot of people don't get to have and And that is where the verses like it's in my weakness that his power is made perfect is real. And this verse that that God works all things to the good of those who love him are called according to his purpose. Look, this guy is brilliant. He's written a book. He actually started doing uh, weightlifting and bodybuilding competitions. And he doesn't, (laughs) he just has the most incredible because he depends on the word of God. Not his circumstance, not how he feels, but truth about who God says that he is. There's a few things that I think that that Joseph would tell us. The first thing kind of culminates these first couple of points. Don't quit, even if it takes a long time. Don't quit, even if it takes a long time. 23 years, 23 years when, when Joseph received the promise until it came to fulfillment. What were you doing 23 years ago? Now think about how long that is. 23 years. I was thinking about that for myself. 23 years ago, I was getting ready to enter into one of the most difficult seasons of my life because my parents' marriage was falling apart. My mom had just told us that we were going to move away, leave my hometown, leave my school, leave my friends, move to San Antonio. I was not in a season where the circumstances would have suggested that I was ever going to be a pastor. 
and it was a long season. <laughs> Not as long as what Joseph had to go, but it was a long season before I could finally start seeing God's promises come to pass. Don't give up. No matter how long that it takes. Look, sometimes God doesn't tell us the time frame because we can't handle the time frame. Because if he told us how soon it was going to happen, we would get anxious about it. And if he told us how long it was going to take, we get discouraged about it. He wants us to trust him every single day, day in and day out. Habakkuk 2.3 says this, these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. God knows the perfect time. And you'll always be able to look back in hindsight. The hindsight's easy. Right now, it's the trust. You've got to trust him every day. Number two, focus on what's happening in you and not to you. Focus on what's happening in you and not to you. God is way more concerned with your character than he is with your comfort. God is way more interested in something being forged inside of you than you just feeling good. The feelings will lie to you. So a lot of you have been praying for this stuff. Like, why, why, why won't God just do this? Look, if God just gave you that job you think you want, you'd lose it in a week because your character's not ready for it. If God gave you that man, that man would be calling a pastor in a week because you cray-cray and you're not ready for that man. God's trying to build in you some character. He's trying to build something that will last a lot longer than your temporary need of satisfaction. He's trying to build in something. He's looking at the, the big picture, the long haul. He wants eternal fruit in your life. So you've got to trust him as he's putting those things together. 1 Peter 1.6. So be truly glad. There's a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it brings you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Christ Jesus is revealed to the whole world. Look, I don't know how long you've been in it. Maybe it's been decades, but I just want to tell you this. Have some eternal perspective. Because however long it's been, it, it is a vapor and it is a blink in comparison to, to the eternal glory that you're going to see in its fullness. And you'll even begin to see glimpses of it, maybe even here on earth, but you are promised that if you are a believer and you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will see it for eternity. You'll get to see what it was all about. There's two ladies who are trying to prepare a message for their life group, and so... They were talking about this subject of being refined and, and what happens in the refining process. So they decided to go to a man who owned a business that was in the business of refining gold to see what the process looked like. So they went in and this guy began to go through the process. He would, he would put it in a crucible. He'd melt it down. And as he melted it down, a lot of the impurities, just because of the heat, would burn off of the gold. But then a lot of the other impurities, they would start begin to coming, coming to the top. They'd come to the top. So he'd be able to scoop those things off. And the more times he put them through the process, the hotter it got, the more pressure there was, the more the impurities could come to the top and he could scoop them off. So the ladies could see in real time, like, ah, oh, this, is, this is what that's talking about. This is what that means. 
This is what it looks like in our lives. So before they left, they asked him, okay, this is fine, but how do you know when the process is done? He said, that's simple. I know the process is done when I can see my reflection in the gold. And that is exactly what Jesus is trying to do in our lives. Because there's no better day than the day that you have been put through the fire and through the process of refining to where the people around you can see Jesus reflected in you. There's nothing better than that. But you got some impurities. We all do. And sometimes they creep in. And sometimes they've always been there. But we've got to trust God through the refining. Amen? This third and final point, Pastor Rick spoke on this last night, and we're going to go to that video. But the last point is this. Your presence, or your response, rather, to offense determines your future. Let's watch this together. Number three. Your response to offense, it determines your future. Could y'all look here for a minute? Let's fast forward to the life of Joseph. His brothers threw him into human trafficking because of a dream. All of a sudden, he has the word for Pharaoh. Pharaoh pulls him out, puts him in charge of all of the land. Have seven years of incredible harvest. And then everything shuts down and people even from other lands are having to come to Egypt just to get something to eat. And one day, right in front of Joseph, is his brother's kind of long story of what happened with the father and how everything had to go together and another son that wasn't there. But basically, when they realized that this was Joseph and he had all this power to destroy them, Joseph said this. This is the most powerful verse in the whole life of Joseph. Joseph looked at his brothers in all of their fear and he said, you intended to harm me But God intended it for good. Could y'all look here for a minute? Jesus said the same amount of forgiveness that you extend to other people. That's the amount of forgiveness that he'll extend to you. In fact, it even says, if you will, if you will forgive. So some of you may say, well, you don't know what they did to me. Well, I'm not here to talk about what they did to you. And I'm certainly not here to tell you you need to trust them because trust and forgiveness are two different things. If I wanted to speak on trust, I would speak on trust. You can forgive and never trust again. Forgiveness is done in a second. Trust has to be earned over time and it may never be re-earned. Please don't confuse the two. A lot of people, when you think about forgiving someone else, they tend to think, oh, you gotta forgive and forget because that's what we always are taught. You have to forgive and forget. There's not one verse in the Bible that says that. In fact, we forgive while we remember. Joseph never forgot. He remembered. He looked at them. He said, you intended to hurt me. God did this for good. And he's looking at them. Another thing that I find that people do when they think about bitterness and betrayal and things that have happened to them They tend to try to minimize the seriousness of the offense. They tend to say, well, I guess it wasn't so bad what they did. They probably didn't mean it. No, they meant it. And it hurt. You don't have to minimize it. Joseph didn't. He, He called it what it is. He remembered it for years. But he forgave. And I just want to encourage you to be a person that forgives 
to let someone off the hook. But here's what's going on. A lot of times what people do, believers, they're not only bitter through life and they keep score of wrongdoings to them, but somehow they forget along the way that there's people that need to hear a sermon on forgiveness because of you. I've hurt people in my life and they, they need to forgive me. But no, as a believer, we just want to remember those that hurt us. We all need the grace of God. Can I have an amen? And the last thing that I think is really important for us to know is that some of you, you need to forgive God because what you wanted didn't happen the way you wanted it to happen or it didn't happen in in the right amount of time. And it's not bitterness you have to God. That's not the issue. The issue is, is you've lost your trust in him. And we're people that are called believers, people of faith. And without that, we've lost the main ingredient. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I just want to, I want to pray for those, those two groups of people that Pastor Rick mentioned. Uh, first of all, those of you that you've been hurt by someone and you're still holding on to it. And, and I'm not going to pretend to know what the pain is like that you have because of what they did. But I know someone that completely relates to it. His name's Jesus. And, and he, he doesn't want you to be tethered to that pain anymore. You don't need to be chained to that anymore. It is impossible for you to fulfill God's plan and purpose for your life when you're so strongly connected to something that hurt you in your past. And the other person I want to pray for, for those of you that you feel like God dropped you. You you come to church and you sing the songs. Maybe you even read your Bible, but in your heart, you're mad at God because you feel like he abandoned you somehow. He, he, somehow he let you down. So you don't trust him right now. And the only, only way you can move forward is you've got to be able to trust him. And he wants to have that trust with you. In my experience, when it comes to this particular area, this area of unforgiveness, this area of even bitterness the only way that you can truly address it is you can't just will it away from your life you can't just keep telling yourself to move on you have to apply the word of God in prayer to these areas of your life and so I'm getting ready to pray for you and I believe that God is going to begin to break down walls and and break chains in some of your lives but at one point or another this is what I encourage you to do when you can get alone You get along and you speak out loud. You speak forgiveness over that hurt. You speak forgiveness over that person. You name them by name and you speak forgiveness. And then you find a word, you find a scripture and you stand on that scripture. And every time the memory comes back and every time that the memory is associated with bitterness or unforgiveness, you keep speaking forgiveness until eventually when the memory comes back, it's not associated with bitterness or unforgiveness, but now it's a part of your testimony. 
that's something that God wants to use in your life. But if you're here today and you just know that you need some freedom in this area of your life because of a hurt that came from someone else or because you're not having a hard time trusting God right now, I wanna pray for you. And I believe even you just raising your hand in a service will begin the process of those chains being broken off of your life, those bonds being severed in your life so that you can experience freedom. If that's you, nobody looking around, just put your hand up right now. I need this. I got this hurt. I've got this pain. I'm not gonna pretend like it's not there and I wanna deal with it. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Okay, I wanna pray for every person who's got your hand up. And if you feel comfortable, you can look at me. Father God, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray over every one of these people. I declare that they are above and not beneath. They're your sons and daughters. The sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I thank you, God, that you're not defined by your past. You're not defined by your hurt. You're not defined by what those people did to you. You're not defined by that circumstance. You're not defined by your failure. You're not defined by your mistake. You are defined on the cross. You're defined as the most precious thing that has ever existed in the creation of the universe because God doesn't make bad deals. So when he traded his son for you, he did it because he knew it was a good trade and he loves you. And in the name of Jesus, I speak freedom and I speak that those chains are gone in Jesus' name. That anything that was done or said that has kept us bound and held back to our past is broken in the name of Jesus so that we can move forward into the destiny that he's called you to as his sons and daughters. And God, I thank you for that freedom. And I thank you, God, they're going to walk that process out and steward their freedom every day as they declare the promises of your word over their lives. As they walk in the truth of the forgiveness that they've accepted through you so they can extend that forgiveness to anybody and everyone that has ever done anything bad to them. And I thank you that in that, God, they're going to begin to feel more fulfillment and more hope and more joy in their purpose in you than they've ever felt before. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. I also want to pray for anybody that, that needs to accept Christ this morning. So close your eyes, bow your heads. If you need to, to make Jesus your Lord this morning, your Lord and Savior, or you need to rededicate your life to him, don't leave this place without making the most important decision of your life. And if you're here and you're ready to make that decision, I would love to pray with you, include you in this prayer. If that's you, just slip your hand up. As soon as I see you, you can put your hand down. I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. God, thanks, man. Anybody else? Thanks for being bold. Anybody else? I need to rededicate my life and give my life to Jesus today. Anybody else? Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks. A couple of hands. Anybody else? Okay. Those, those couple of you just right. Yeah, I got you. Thanks. Thanks for being bold. Come on. Anybody else? Last chance. Everybody that just raised your hand, look right there in your seat. You can make a private decision to follow Jesus Christ. The word says you need to go public with that decision at one point or another. But right there in your seat, you just have an honest conversation with God. Just say, God, here's my life and it's messed up. And I know I've sinned. And I know I can't save myself. So right now, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And that you rose again. And right now, I confess you as the Lord of my life. I give you complete control. I want to live for you. Because you're my Lord, I know I need to live for you and not for myself. But I thank you that as my Lord, you also save me. You save me from my sin. You save me from my past. And I pray that you would help me to understand what it means to live for you. To live in your love, to live in your plan and purpose. To you be the glory. God, help us all 
to focus on the destiny that you have for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand this morning. We had a few people raising their hand, getting set free. Amen. Praise God. All right, let's all stand together. Hey, if you made a decision this morning um, or you need prayer for anything, make sure you write it on your Connect card. And, uh, and if you can't get it in there right now, you can, you can t- definitely take it out to Welcome Center. If you're a visitor, so we're passing these containers, feel no obligation to give. This one's on us, but we'd love to get your Connect cards if you want to. Or if you would rather, you can take them out to the Welcome Center. We'd love to meet you face to face. We've got the, a gift we'd love to give you. Let's read this verse together before we give this morning. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce. That, that word honor, it's to esteem highly. More specifically, it is to put first above anything. And so much of this chapter, this is actually in your reading. It's talking about not leaning on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own wisdom. You've got to trust God. When you put him first, it's the ultimate sign of trust. And when you put him first, he will give you the wisdom that you need in making decisions in every area. I don't know how it is for you, but I need wisdom when it comes to what I'm supposed to do with what God has given me. I don't want to just use it the way I think it's best to use it. I want to use it the way it's going to glorify God. And that includes my finances. One of the ways that I show him that I'm trusting his wisdom on it, not my own wisdom by simply putting him first in it. And I believe if you'll do that, you're gonna see his blessing on everything you put your hands to. Let's pray over tithes and offerings this morning. Lord, it's our honor and privilege to give. Thank you so much. We love you. We're grateful. We recognize everything we have comes from you. We thank you for the blessing and giving, but, but God, we're not giving because of the blessing. We're giving because we're thankful. So bless every person that's about to give in this service, every person that is committed towards our vision of our new building. God, I pray we'd not be weary in well-doing. We'd be faithful in fulfilling that project. We know that you've given it to us. Every person that gave online or, or mailed in their, their, their tithes and offerings, bless it all in Jesus' name and use it for your kingdom. Amen. Let's give together. Your love so deep in-